Welcome to the Free Lawyer Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Miles. The Free Lawyer Podcast is designed for the lawyer, entrepreneur, or professional who is in some way unfulfilled, stressed, or stuck, and is looking for something better. We will discuss various blocks that limit us from achieving the personal freedom that we all desire, but have not yet fully experienced. And we will give actionable steps to free yourself from them. Are you looking to achieve a new level of success? If so, this podcast is for you. Before we get started with our message today, I'm so excited to let you know that I've written a book called Breaking Free, A Guide to Achieving Personal and Professional Freedom as a Lawyer. Breaking Free will be released on December 18. I hope it shows you how you can overcome the stress and overwhelm you feel in your practice and achieve a life of freedom, joy, and success as a lawyer. I will leave the link in the show notes where you can sign up to be on the wait list and have the first opportunity to obtain the book at a significantly reduced rate when it is released on December 18. I hope you enjoy reading it as much as I have enjoyed writing it. Now to our message. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm so grateful to have you. I'm really thrilled to have with us today, Jackie Heronian, Jackie is the sole shareholder and managing partner of Whistleman Heronian, a family law firm of quite some standing, I think over 50 years in the New York area, practicing in a very challenging area of family law. And Jackie's here today to say, share some of her insights about family law, but also about running a law firm and what it's like and, and how to create a law firm that is nurturing and supportive of, of those who make that firm their life as well. Jackie, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Gary. One of my favorite topics to talk about. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Sure, absolutely. And Jackie, you've been practicing, I know, for um, you know over 25 years or so. Uh, tell me a little about your journey and, and your experience with the firm and how you came to be accidentally, I gather, um, running it. Yeah, yeah, I love the word accidental because it really, uh, my path towards owning a firm, running a substantial firm really was not in the cards, not even in my dreams when I first started out, didn't know it was possible for me. Um, I started law school as a young mother. Uh, I got married very young. My parents are Middle Eastern immigrants um, and gender roles and opportunities for men and women in the work sphere and as raising children. you know, when I started 30 years ago, it was much easier. We had very prescribed gender roles and family law was all about mothers raising children and fathers contributing financially. And now I'm very happy to say so many years later, um, we live in a more gender neutral world where there are opportunities of all kinds for mothers and fathers, men and women um, in same sex relationships and in um, opposite sex relationships. And so Uh, Things are very different from when I started. That has always been extremely fascinating for me, especially as someone coming from a more traditional cultural background, where today a lot of my clients are immigrants or children of immigrants, and they are struggling with the same gender roles and expectations 
that really all people do, uh, just to different degrees. How long, um, how long have you been with your firm? And tell me about your, your kind of journey through your firm. Yeah. So I've always been with this firm. I had a very unusual career path. As I said, I started law school. I already had my first of four children. And um, I started working part-time at a firm, basically in my neighborhood, uh, in family law. And it was a part-time position as a law clerk, which is, I was a research clerk while still in law school. And uh, I had to really narrow my scope of employment opportunities because of my responsibilities at home. And so this firm was really perfect for me to start out, but it turned into a full-time position after I took the bar and then became an associate. And years later, I became a partner. My name was put on the firm. And now today I have bought out the practice. I am the managing partner. We have 10 attorneys here uh, and we have full family law and now an increasingly an estate planning practice. So I've really started from copying uh, you know, briefs and doing research all the way through to running a firm. We have approximately 25 employees. That's fantastic. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. It is unusual. I've been with my firm. Uh, it'll be 41. It is now 41 years I've been with my firm. And, and in this day and age, that's unusual to have that tenure that you have with, with your firm. Tell me about, let's talk a little bit about family law. Um, I've seen so many changes in it as you have. Tell me what you think are some of the biggest changes you've experienced during your 30 odd years and yeah. how they impact the practice of family law. Well, I mean, I think uh, just starting with uh, the basic issues in family law, let's start with custody of children. You are seeing virtually every father asking for some version of joint custody. It's sort of the starting paradigm in every case. And it's a recognition of the fact that fathers today are much more involved with their children than fathers were my father's age or grandfathers. Uh, modern fathers today have a very active role in uh, coaching their children, bathing their children, changing diapers. I mean, a generation ago, and maybe not even that long ago, fathers used to brag about how they never changed diapers. And mothers used to say, well, yeah, I do all the diapering as if it was her job. And you, you're not seeing that as much in relationships. Fathers are taking very active roles. They're showing up at teacher conferences. They're taking children to the doctor. The pandemic showed us that many fathers work from home, are very adept in uh, juggling work from home and also monitoring their children, raising their children. So this concept of fathers helping with their wives with children has really morphed into something very, very different. And I think uh, judges recognize that, attorneys for children recognize that. And so now it's an expected starting paradigm for, for custody. And, that, and that's been my experience in Maryland as well. It's evolved to a point where the courts expect there to be 50-50 shared custody unless the party who wants something different shows pretty good, compelling reasons yeah. why not. Yeah, no, that's true. And in a way, it's created a little bit more tension and uh, more of an adversarial posture with custody. So we have to kind of navigate that. And I'm always telling clients, especially women, uh, be careful. You know, you're not necessarily entitled to have primary custody of your children, uh, because in most cases we have two working parents. Uh, and in the financial end of things, um, you know, we're seeing way more women breadwinners, certainly women that earn as much as their spouses or more. Uh, that obviously is interesting. 
As a matter of fact, it leads to divorce in many cases, unless parties can really feel comfortable with that. A lot of men are not very comfortable with their wives uh, having assets or a say in financial decisions. Uh, this is really a generational shift. Uh, women having access to income, having decision-making authority, um, and being more interested in money in general. And the couples, modern couples that really get that and understand that, I see very successful relationships. And a lot of prenups uh, with couples that have a little bit more of an egalitarian view towards relationships about how money is earned and how it's invested and, you know, talking about goals and uh, prenuptial agreements are, are part of a big trend that I see with younger couples. It's really about women's uh, economic empowerment. Um, I think all those changes are really wonderful. I think um, having both parents involved with the children is wonderful. Having sort of economic equality in terms of opportunities is fantastic. And I think it requires some adjustment for both parties who may still come from a more traditional perspective, but those changes are so positive in my view. Very much so. And the biggest change also, uh, I'm not sure when Maryland passed no fault divorce, but in New York, it was New York was the last state in the country. It's been about 10 or 15 years or so. So a lot of people still are not aware of the fact that New York is a no fault state, that the majority of cases are processed on no fault grounds, which is sort of like a irreconcilable differences, uh, you know, uh, no contest sort of thing. And, uh, a lot of clients are not aware of that. They're still remembering adultery or cruelty or other grounds for divorce. And even when I tell them that grounds are really not going to be the focus of what the lawyers are working on or the discussions for settlement, I have many cases where uh, fault and blaming and shaming um, and, and really assigning responsibility and seeking accountability for the downfall of a marriage, it is still a part of the picture. Um, and I think it will always be part of the picture. And, and there has to be a way to address that. And I think successful lawyers recognize those signs and try to provide counseling to make their clients understand where the end of the relationship and the betrayal, how that kind of fits in with the other issues in the case. I do have quite a substantial number of cases where we do litigate fault, we, especially adultery. Um, so, and, and those grounds are still available in New York, but for sure, it's a very small part of the overall landscape of divorce in New York. And we, we have, of course, have adultery as well, but, but I bet 99% of the cases end up being, end up being, although may not have begun that way as no fault cases. And the judges really don't want to hear all that. Maybe it's their own selfish preference, but they don't want to hear he did this. Oh, yeah, but I did this because you did that. They don't want to hear all that drama. They just want to figure out what's best for the kids and what's a fair division. But yet our clients go through very emotional trauma related to whatever those events were that that needs yeah. addressing. Yeah, no, that's very true. And, um, you know, there has to be a place for those negative emotions to go. And, uh, you know, mental health counseling is being brought into a lot of cases uh, in various ways. New York recently has really pushed a lot of uh, forward with a lot of mediation, uh, which I think is really a very good thing. And mediation really is a place to be heard and to talk and to find closure. Um, and it can have feeling like almost like marriage counseling in a way. It can provide uh, some positive healing to a couple that might not have a very complicated case, 
but has some, you know, I call it unfinished business between the spouses. And, uh, you know, it's good to resolve those things in one way or the other. Otherwise, your only option is going to be hiring a litigator, going to court. And in New York, you could be stuck in court for years, for several years. And um, mediation is so important. I've conducted a lot of mediations as the media. And one of the things I found is I, I do a very good job of empathetically listening to the parties. And both parties end up liking me because both parties feel like they've been heard and they have been. And they're yeah. being heard in itself goes a long way to resolving the case. Because sometimes, not you, not me, but sometimes the lawyer doesn't really want to hear all of that either. They just want to focus on let's file this plea and give me these documents. And to actually be heard by someone and listened to can go a long way towards resolving the case. Yeah, I agree for sure. You work with a lot of lawyers. You manage a lot of lawyers. What do you think are some of the biggest problems that lawyers face today, Jackie? Uh, I mean, I would say uh, for a lot of for a lot of lawyers, it's technology, and uh, the new the new protocols in place in New York are heavily based on technology. Um, and this happened during the pandemic. We had a very old school system before then, and lawyers need to be adept. Uh, in practicing virtually, in in uh, getting their point across uh, virtually, being prepared for virtual conferences in a way that did not exist before when you were in person in court, um, when expectations were different. Here in New York, we are back to, I would say about half the cases are definitely back in court, but still quite a number are virtual. And it's a different experience uh, being in a courtroom in a virtual setting with your client listening in while the judge is is making it very clear that lawyers have not complied or that lawyers are not prepared or watching your lawyer not advocate the way they need to. There used to be a lot more backroom discussions uh, for conferences, and now it's a much more transparent um, type of advocacy, which I think actually works to your favor if you can handle that. You have to make sure you keep your calendar Again, that comes down to technology. You can't make mistakes with your calendar. And you have to be able to move cases along uh, a lot of times with password encrypted documents, subpoenaed records that come in in ways that are now much more challenging to just organize all of it. Technology um, is a big part of family law practice for me, especially in high net worth cases. And you need to have a team uh, and which is why I think one of the advantages of working with a larger firm, we only have 10 attorneys here, but we have a lot of paralegals, a lot of hands on deck, a lot of people watching the calendar, making sure that um, cases are being monitored um, and that we're not missing deadlines and that the information is flowing, leading towards hopefully a settlement. Right. What I'm seeing a lot is uh, clients are coming to me after having worked with a solo practitioner or a smaller firm. And they're telling me they never hear from their lawyers. They don't think that there's anyone in the office that's really responding to their case. Um, and, and that's a problem. I really that, think that's a huge a problem. Part I've, of it. I've heard that so much too. My lawyer won't return my calls. And to me, it's a win-win. My client has a question. They want advice. They want guidance. They're willing to pay for that advice. Right. Paid to give that advice. It's a win-win. Right. They get the question, I answer it. I make money. They get their answer and we're all happy. Right. I hear that a lawyer won't return my calls. It, it, it bothers me. It's a very bad sign. And I always say, if your lawyer is not returning your calls, they're not returning opposing counsel's calls. They're probably not responding to discovery deadlines 
or they're not proactive about the case in order to be prepared in court. So that's a very big red flag. If your attorney is not returning your call, uh, that's a problem that has to be addressed because it means there's an issue with the attorney's practice. And I hate to put it that way, but that really is what it, what I see. Uh, I was on vacation for a few days. I actually just came back into my office today and I had 1,500 emails wow. that um, I had to deal with. A lot of them I had answered while I was away, but a lot of them I needed to respond to or delegate. And for a solo practitioner or a smaller firm that takes on too many cases and is in court all day, because now there are cases in court, there is just no way to manage the practice um, and delegate and be proactive. It's important for lawyers to be proactive. You're not just playing defense, waiting for the other lawyer or the other client to make demands. You have to have strategy. You have to think ahead. And that can only happen if you have a dedicated team of employees, which I'm very blessed to have. That's fantastic. Um, you know, when I practice family law in Maryland, I found many, many lawyers are like you and me. We try to work cooperatively to fashion solutions for our clients without the stress and expense of a trial. But some lawyers, the minority, thankfully, are unnecessarily difficult and raise fights that don't need to be raised. What has been your experience with that topic? Um, I'm sorry, what was the topic? I lost some now, of the question. Now, some lawyers, the minority, are are unnecessarily difficult. Fighting about yeah. that don't need yeah. to be Following motions about a three hundred hour credit yeah. card. Yeah, fighting uh, just for the sake of fighting. Listen, I can't. Uh, I don't practice that way. And uh, in any community of lawyers, you know which lawyers kind of uh, are the so called sharks or who are going to fight instead of agreeing. And it's a strategy, uh, and it can be an effective strategy in some cases. Uh, I, I don't um, appreciate that myself. I know my clients don't. I think it, we have to keep in mind with family law that our goal is to get our clients the best outcome and let them move forward with their lives. Uh, you know, they're in an unhappy relationship or they're not seeing their children or they don't have access to financial resources. We're there to problem solve, right. um, work with the other lawyer, avoid court intervention if we can, but make our clients' lives better and make their children's lives better. I'm always keeping in mind the fact that there are children here. And if I can work together with another lawyer, for example, if there's a summer camp for 3,500, I can either call up the other lawyer and try to work something out, or I can file a motion where it's gonna cost my client more than it's worth. And clients that are angry can very easily be attracted to uh, litigation because they want to punish and hold the other side accountable. And as a lawyer, it's a very important responsibility to let them know that there's options to that. Let's try something different. Um, and, and this is how it benefits you. And it's also my experience, and um, I have a degree in psychology, so I know there's a, there's a basis for this approach, that if you can reach small agreements and build consensus with the other lawyer, your client can actually see that there's a process and there's a way to resolve things and it will build trust with the lawyer and it will build trust between the parties. If you can resolve small issues along the way and then have meetings, have settlement meetings, have virtual settlement meetings and show the parties that the lawyers trust one another, that we can actually resolve things in a non-adversarial way and see them through to the end of this process where they're going to be happier. Just not having lawyers and legal fees and judges in your life is going to make you a happier person. It's You're going to be able to move on. 
And yeah, once the case is resolved, and particularly if it's resolved amicably and by agreement, it's amazing yeah. how much better the clients are working together after. Oh, Jackie, for sure. I'd like to switch to talk about your firm and, and your leadership there. Um, I know you run your own law firm. To you, what are the essences, the essence of being a good leader? You know, I've had a, a very long run with an amazing team of attorneys and, and support professionals. So it's been uh, almost 30 years at the same firm. As I mentioned, I started out as a law student and I've learned a lot along the way about uh, law firm culture and what makes a team that's really dedicated. So you'll see, anyone who's watching me on video will see I have, it's Halloween today and I have like a spider web, very inartfully drawn on my face. We have a lot of holiday celebrations here. We have a lot of birthday celebrations here. Uh, we support one another uh, in, in many ways. Almost, I don't wanna call it a family, uh, but it is a feeling of we are friends and colleagues and that we care for one another. I really believe in feeding my staff. So we always have bagels and cookies and special treats. Uh, on Fridays, we turn off the phones and for two hours we have lunch together. I buy lunch oh. for my staff. We sit at a long table and just to start the weekend early, we will have a meal together. Wonderful. And they, and they pick the food and I just pay the bill and it's always fun to see what's for lunch on Friday. Um, I believe in giving a lot of time off if I can. Um, Friday afternoons during the summer and some whole Fridays, we close the office. Uh, if I can give extra time off, um, I know I've already seen that it leads to productivity because my clients are so dedicated. They will answer calls and emails and be on top of things on the weekends um, because they really are excited to work here and we really have each other's backs. So that's the advice I give to other law firm owners, that if you're in a position to build morale in your staff uh, in whatever way you can, generous with pay, generous with time off, uh, really having a team approach, that's what's worked at this firm. And um, I'm always looking for ways to reward my staff in whatever way I can. That, that's really wonderful. You know, so many lawyers who I speak with complain about a, a toxic work environment, and you've taken those really wonderful, cooperative, team-building steps towards making your staff folks who want to come to work for you. And I just think that's great. Yeah, yeah, because it's a difficult practice area. Family law is grueling. Um, I once read an article, and it's so true. My frontline staff, the people that do intake, are hearing from people that are traumatized and they're hearing about things that are violent and upsetting involving children sometimes. And they have to kind of take that in and show up every day to deal with that. And there are many aspects of our work that's really difficult and, and draining and emotionally exhausting. And so whatever I can do to um, stop that feeling and make it more into a positive environment so that at least we support one another, notwithstanding the difficulty of the work, then that's what we do. We also incorporated a WhatsApp chat just for our office. And it's been great. It's a great tool for communication. Uh, and I'm looking into other ways to use technology just to boost communication and be more efficient. There are a lot of options out there that's for good. law firm owners. You know, I can tell how hard you work in your cases and your legal work but you spend so much time and energy focusing on your staff as well. So I want to commend you for doing that. It's Thank a you. To so many of us and, you know, managing a firm is very, very stressful. You often feel like you're alone and practicing family law can be grueling. Jackie, how do you maintain your sanity, your boundaries, your um, 
own personal satisfaction with yeah. all the stress that you face, all that busyness. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm the kind of person that enjoys working and I have to keep my mind active to be a happy person. So uh, that's just something about me. I just love working. My parents also worked very hard. So I grew up seeing that it is possible to raise a family and still work incredibly hard. When you're an, a business owner, it's just very exciting. Uh, you can, uh, you know, it's almost like having a child. You're growing it, you're nurturing it, and you're watching it succeed, hopefully. Uh, I do have very, very uh, large and very supportive family. I mentioned I have four children. Uh, I've been married for 33 years. My husband is really a very special person who has supported me from the beginning. And we're very lucky right now that we have an empty nest and we can enjoy some of the fruits of our labor. We enjoy spending time together. Um, we're very compatible. We're both kind of homebodies on the weekends. And the weekends are, I've learned, uh, very necessary for me to unwind and recharge and catch up on things and, and work out. And um, I really do take my private time and I'm realizing how necessary it is. It, it really is. It really is. My, my wife is a director of nursing and works under intense pressure all week. And, and I know she needs that time on the weekends to just recharge and, and recover from a grueling week. Jackie, what do you find with all you do? What do you find most fulfilling professionally? Um, I really, my favorite thing to do, um, besides settling cases, which is really my goal in every case, is to reach what I call the finish line, which I think is the best part of any case. But professionally, I do enjoy public speaking. I enjoy teaching other people. Um, and I enjoy marketing my business. So I do quite a bit on LinkedIn. I will write blogs uh, about the different things that I find interesting that relate to my practice or relate to psychology and family relationships, which I also have a background in. So I like to read and write. I like to share what I read and write. I love to speak about it. And I'm very lucky that I get invited to speak frequently. And it's one of my favorite things. Well, I love that you're so generous with your, your talents, your expertise, your experience to help and serve others in the legal community, um, help and serve your clients. I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah, thank you. Jackie, so tell me this, how can lawyers or listeners who, who want to learn more about you or uh, maybe a matter to discuss with you, how can they best get in touch with you? Yeah, the very best place is LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is really where uh, my go-to social media platform. A lot of my background is on my profile, uh, ways that you can reach me. We do offer a free consultation for any matter involving New York family law or estate planning. Uh, and I'm happy to do that. I do give away a lot of my time in pro bono matters. Um, and so do members of our attorney staff. We do have a commitment towards pro bono service. And so you can find out a lot about that on, on LinkedIn. Very good. Jackie, you know, I call this podcast The Free Lawyer because it's all about how we in our stressful world can really find true personal freedom. What does personal freedom mean to you, Jackie? Personal freedom to me, um, you know, is really the uh, freedom to live the life you want on your own terms, um, especially after you've met your responsibilities towards raising your children. Right now, as I mentioned, I'm at an empty nest period. I realize the only person I really need to uh, serve is myself, my husband. Uh, obviously, I have responsibilities to my workers. And it's a very liberating feeling to be able to decide how I want to spend my time 
And more and more, I want to make sure I serve the community at large. So I do give back in various ways for breast cancer awareness. I'm a very grateful um, survivor, uh, other professional organizations. Uh, I, 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 my work is not done yet. Uh, I still consider myself a full-time parent in many ways, but for the first time, since my, I don't have children at home, I feel like my time is my own and I have a lot still that I want to accomplish. One thing I've learned is that I feel most fulfilled when I'm of service to others. And I see how you serve so many. You serve your staff, even though you're the boss. You serve your clients. You serve the community and the legal profession. And, and I think that's such an amazing way for you to find fulfillment in what you do. Yeah, I mean, for lawyers, uh, there are opportunities to serve others. Uh, lawyers get a very, very bad reputation in some cases, especially divorced lawyers. And I think it's very, it's undeserved in, in the majority of cases. Most attorneys I know are trying to improve the world, are trying to use their voice to uplift others and to bring awareness to important things. And um, I think it's a very noble profession, profession and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Well, thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you for your time. I, I know how busy you are and I really, really appreciate it. For all of our listeners out there today, thank you for listening in. And as always, please be well, be safe, and be free. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Free Lawyer Podcast. Wherever you are listening, if you enjoyed what I shared, please leave me a rating and review. I would appreciate hearing more about what you like best and what topics you might like me to cover in future episodes. If you are interested in experiencing a more fulfilling and a more successful life, please contact me at www.garymiles.net where you can schedule a free discovery call with me so I can learn more about you, your challenges, and your dreams. I appreciate each and every one of you and have a great rest of your day. Thanks to all of you for your support.